Well, it is a joy to be here this morning again. My name is Scott, and I am the pastor of our church here. And uh, we are grateful to have everyone here, especially all the new faces. And gosh, everybody complied. I, in our prayer time, I kind of complained how everybody just sits way in the back, and now everybody's in the front, and it's awesome. I threatened to come down there, and they don't want me to, so they all move forward. It's great. I love it. Well, I also want to thank our church for, uh, for yesterday. We had our, our big fall festival in the park, and it wasn't warm at all. And everybody came and rallied, and uh, I tell you, it was just so much fun to see our church do that. And we had, we had four other ministries help us. Uh, one other church just in our neighborhood, the Tabernacle in Tim Muth, brought some people, as well as the Arkansas Valley Pregnancy Center helped us. And we had Matt and Betsy and Carol from Monta Vista come. And then, of course, we had Dennis helping us with his family um, from Calvary, Los Animas. So it was a great day. You know, it was cold. We may not have had the turnout that we would have wanted, but I tell you what, what we did have was a great time, and God was blessed in that. So where are we at now? We are in a study of Acts. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 31 today. And it's kind of the second half of the story in Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John healed the lame beggar. So they came in there and they saw this man who, was, who, was, who has been lame his entire life. He has never walked in his life. And they, they were going to prayer in the temple. And they saw this man who was begging. Now one of the things that, we, that Dennis, my friend Dennis in Los Animas, has pointed out to me that I hadn't thought about in that passage was that because they were in the temple, he was in the temple every day, Jesus had walked past him many times, never stopping to see him, at least as far as Scripture says. And why is that? Because he knew that moment in Acts chapter 3, that man was going to be healed. And he was going to be healed in his name, as Peter and John proclaimed, and the people were amazed. And so now we come to Acts chapter 4, and we see that the rulers there, the Sanhedrin, are not happy. In fact, the Sadducees come and they are going to act out against them. And for what they've done, they, or what the scriptures say, they are annoyed by what has happened. And so, as we get into this passage this morning, it's long, so I'm not going to read it all up front, or that would take all of our time. But we're going to read it as we go through, and we'll kind of see it as a story, piece by piece, how all of this played out. But there are many things about the story that are just unbelievable. First, there's the, there's the work that Jesus did through Peter and John in healing of this man. Then there's the boldness of Peter and John to proclaim the name of Jesus in the temple. Then there's the, the trial, if you will, the inquisition that they went through. And then they take that from the Inquisition back to the people, this new congregation that has just been gathered together over the last month or so. And then after that, it's what was the people's reaction? And of course, what should our reaction be to everything that has happened? So as we get started with this, it's a long passage, so let's pray and then we'll get right into it. 
Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, just again, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the power that it brings to us, Lord. We love your word, and we love your church, and we love you. And Lord, I just pray, pray today that this message would penetrate our hearts and show us who you are. Lord, how great it is to be witnesses for you and the importance of bringing your message out into the world and into your, your neighborhoods, Lord, so that people can be saved. It is our only hope, Lord. You are our only hope. And we thank you, Lord, for that and just ask for your blessing upon our time. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we start out, we look at the first four verses here in Acts chapter 4, and we read them, and it kind of gives us the situation of where we're at. I brought the wrong glasses, so I'll probably be looking over them. Usually I have glasses where I can see you, but if I put these on, you guys are all blurry because they're totally reading glasses. So I'm just telling you that so you can be totally distracted by that during the message, okay? And so the first four verses go like this. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men who came, who came to about 5,000. So it's interesting because, you know, as we know, the Sadducees, if you're not familiar with them, they were a group of people who didn't believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in the resurrection. There's an old joke my wife made me promise not to say about them, but that's what made them sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. So I did it anyway, Sherry, sorry. But that's, that's how I remember them, right? What's that, Alex? They weren't fair, you see. That's right, they weren't fair, you see. So they were sad, you see. Okay, anyway, enough of that. But, but this, they were annoyed. Can you imagine... Can you imagine being annoyed or greatly disturbed over the news that a man was healed? I mean, it just blows me away that they were annoyed by this. Instead of rejoicing and taking part in being glad and proclaiming the power of God, they were annoyed. There's something wrong there. Totally. They don't believe in the resurrection. So they arrested Peter and John because, of course, that's the first thing you do when somebody heals somebody who's been lame their entire life. You throw them in jail. So they did that, and they did it at night So because the court would not be in session again until the next morning. So instead of just grabbing them the next morning, no, they had to grab them then and put them in jail. But here's a problem. This is the problem for them. The ruling authorities, they were annoyed, yes, but, but the people were amazed. And scripture tells us that many came to know Jesus as their Savior during that time, and the number of people now that we have looked at all the way through Acts has grown from 120 to 3,120 to now over 5,000 in a very, very short period of time. This is something to rejoice. Certainly not something to be annoyed at. Now, we know now that Peter and John have been arrested, and they're going to have to face the court. They're going to have to stand before 
the Sanhedrin. Now, many of us would be anxious about standing before the authorities, knowing that we were going to have to take a stand for Jesus. We have trouble sharing our faith, let alone standing in front of a group of men who could basically put us in jail for life, starve us, make us pay for our sins that they think this is what they've committed. But Peter and John did not. They really had no idea what was going to happen to them, but they were ready for it. They were ready if it, if it, if it meant that they were going to be beaten and tortured because they remembered these words that Jesus had told them in John 12, looking at verses 8, and then we'll look at 11 and 12. And, and Jesus told them this in, in Luke. I'm sorry, it's Luke 12, 8, 11 through 12. And it says this, and he says, I, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And then in verse 11, Jesus said, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You see, Peter and John are ready to be bold, not because of anything they had inside of them, but because they knew, they knew that the Spirit would provide all that they needed, just as he has before. So once again, like when they went up to the lame beggar and healed him, they knew it wasn't about them or their efforts. It was about Jesus. Jesus and the power of his resurrected name that healed this man. And it would be Jesus' spirit, the Holy Spirit, that would give them the words to say when they were quizzed by the Sanhedrin. Now, I've, I've got a picture that Brandon's going to put up on the screen of what it might have looked like in those days with the Sanhedrin. You can see that this is, this is a, a kind of a crude drawing of what it looks like, but, but they would sit in a semicircle. And it would, the Sanhedrin consisted of 71 men. There was 69 uh, regular guys that were there, just leaders and rulers and elders. Then there was the captain, and then there was the high priest. And you would have to stand looking at the high priest who would be the one in the middle. Imagine this. There are 71 men there, rulers and elders, learned people. And Peter and John were going to have to stand in front of them with their holding their feet in their hands, Peter and John not knowing what was going to happen, these men who were not educated men, blue-collar men, standing before the leaders of Israel. When we look at verses 5 through 12, it tells us here, let's read those verses 5 through 12. It says, starting in verse 5, And on the next day the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were highly high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired. They inquired. So this is what it started with. And when they set them in the midst, they inquired. So now Peter and John are in the middle. They're standing here in front of this group of men, these 71 men. And this is the question that they ask. 
By what power or by what name do you do this? Now, I find this interesting, don't you? I mean, this is a question coming from the religious leaders and authorities in Jerusalem. I'm not sure what they expected Peter and John to say, but it had, it, it had to be reported to these rulers that clearly Jesus was the one who healed this beggar. Peter and John had proclaimed that. And it was by the power of his resurrection. He told the people, they said, this Jesus whom you crucified. Remember, some of these people were there when, when Pilate said, look, I'm willing to give you Barabbas, or I'm willing to send Barabbas and give you back Jesus. No, they chose a murderer to be set free and Jesus to be crucified. So this word had must have gotten back to the Sanhedrin. And so this reminds me, and it may remind you of this too, that of the sham trial that Jesus had before the same group of men. They were trying to catch Peter and John blaspheming the Lord, but they were actually going to be in for a shock. Because here is Peter's response, verses 8 through 12. Keeping in mind that we had just read in Luke 12 where Jesus said not to be anxious about anything that you're going to say before the rulers and authorities. This is what the Spirit taught them to say. Starting in verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? And then in verse 10, Peter again becomes very bold and he says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Now this, this beggar who has now been healed standing on his feet for the first time, who is over 40 years old and never walked in his life and is now standing before the Sanhedrin with Peter and John as a healed man. And then in verse 11, Peter says this, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter and John, filled by the Holy Spirit. And it's important to note that when it says that they were filled by the Spirit, that this this is actually in the aorist tense or the past tense, meaning that they were already filled with the Spirit. The Spirit didn't just fill them right then. They had been filled since the day of Pentecost. They were ready. They did not need to be filled again because, as we know, Scripture tells us that once you're a believer, that Jesus said he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. And they didn't fors- he didn't forsake Peter and John, and he will never forsake us either when we put our faith and trust in him. Hebrews 13.5 says this, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus was with Peter and John just as he is with us. 
So Peter told these men with boldness, without fear, that Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom they crucified, remember, they were the ones who sent him, brought him in for a trial. Jesus had done nothing wrong. And all the witnesses, they couldn't even have their stories the same. They couldn't even corroborate their stories when he came to them. And yet, even though they knew he had done nothing wrong, they still found him guilty and sent him to be crucified. And Peter reminds him of that. This Jesus, whom you've crucified, and God raised from the dead, so you tried to kill him, but death could not hold Jesus. And God said, my son will rise again. And in three days he rose again, and he is resurrected, and he is alive now. Verse 11, Peter recalls Psalm 118.22. He said, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Now, if you've ever built something from the ground up, you know how important it is for the corner, how important the cornerstone is, or that, that first corner that you put something together, right? Because if that isn't set perfectly, then everything else going up is off, and it just gets worse. If the bottom piece, that first piece, is off by a, a 32nd of an inch, which is not much, by the time you get to the top of a building, say 10 stories tall, you're going to be off by probably more than a foot. I mean, it just builds on itself. And so Jesus had to be perfect because he is the foundation of our faith. If he would have been off, imagine where we would be 2,000 years later. But he was the perfect cornerstone. And now, as the building is being put together, Jesus is also the perfect capstone on the top. He is the foundation of our faith. He had to be perfect for the structure to hold together, to be sound, and to be perfect. And this is what Peter was telling the Sanhedrin, just as those who came to see what happened to the beggar that Jesus healed him. And he told the crowd that they had killed the Holy and Righteous One, the author of life. And when he told the crowd at Pentecost that Jesus was the one whom God was doing his mighty signs and wonders through while he was walking here on earth. Because we know that Jesus is the name above all names. He is the perfectly set cornerstone and the finishing capstone. And then Peter declares that salvation comes through no other name than Jesus. Because there is no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. What other name under heaven could possibly be perfect enough to be found in, for our salvation? Nobody. Why? Because the rest of us are all sinners. God is holy. And he is, His holiness is so high it's not even measurable. And the rest of us are so far from His holiness that that can't even be measured. But God, through His Son, Jesus, and His death on the cross and the shedding of His blood has given us an opportunity to be with Him, to close that gap, 
Not on anything that we have done, but on what He has done. And by putting our faith and trust in Him, we are saved through the name of Jesus alone. Our works cannot save us because our works are like filthy rags, is what Scripture tells us. That doesn't mean that we don't do things that can have good consequences. But nothing that we do is up to the standard of God's holiness. And if we were to come before God and say, hey, look at all these things that I have done. Look at all these things that I have done to you. He would cast us away and say, I never knew you. Get away from me. It's only through Jesus and the fact that He took our punishment for our sins on the cross, that He shed His blood and died. Only He could do that because He is the only one perfect enough who is worthy enough to do that. That meant that He is fully God and fully man. He had to be fully God in order to be perfect. In order to be able to take on God's wrath, He had to be God himself because only God is perfect but he also had to be fully man because he needed to have a human body that could die and shed his blood and to be resurrected again he knew what it meant to suffer all of us who go through suffering in our lives that we talked about last week suffering is real suffering is a part a part of our lives it's part of living in a sin-filled world but we have a Savior who knows what suffering is like because He Himself has suffered. He didn't deserve His suffering, and yet He took it upon Himself on the cross. The great exchange, the substitutionary atonement, Jesus' life for our salvation. And it is His name when we cry out to Him to save us from our sins and place our faith and trust in Him that we find our salvation and hope. Imagine what the council of leaders are thinking when they listen to Peter talk. This lowly fisherman. Verses 13 through 22 show us the dilemma that Peter's declaration put these leaders in. Let's read starting in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Yeah, it was pretty obvious by listening to them, they had been with Jesus. But seeing this man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Nothing to say. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, you know, <laughs> imagine being there and hearing this. Okay, These men, these it's easy for us to make fun of them and to, and to poke fun at them, but, but think about what is happening here. Put ourselves in their shoes. And he says, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed to them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. This healed man is standing here. We know because we passed him too and he has never walked in his life and now he's standing here. What are we to say to that? 
says, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name, in the name of Jesus. So can you imagine this again? We think about what's happening here. Again, it's, it's mind-boggling to think in some ways that here is this great event that everybody who was there recognizes that this had to be from God. Even they do. They can't deny it. But instead of rejoicing and proclaiming the good news of God through Jesus, they want to do a cover-up. They want to cover it up. Here's how we'll get rid of it. We'll just tell them not to say anything anymore. How do you think that's going to go? Do you think that they really thought that Peter and John were going to be so afraid of them that they would never say anything? That's crazy thought. They could stop God. They knew it was God. So in verse 18 it says, So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And then in verse 19, But Peter and John answered them, as I would hope that all of us would, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak but what we have seen and heard. They knew, they saw it, they were there, they did it. Through Jesus, of course. There was no denying it. It was of God. It was of Jesus. It was the power of his name in his resurrection. This man had been healed. So they couldn't say, no, we're not going to stop talking about him. We're going we're to talk about him even more. And then in verse 21, this was the verdict rendered by this great council of the Sanhedrin. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what happened. So again, what about these great men, these great leaders of Jerusalem, the great leaders of Israel? Who were they afraid of? God? No. The people. They were afraid of the people. These great men who were supposed to be the representatives of the Jews before God, the learned men of scriptures who had memorized the Old Testament, who knew what the prophets said, were not afraid of God. They were afraid of people. And the only way that they could stop it was to tell them, don't say anything anymore. It's absurd. It was absurd. So they sent him away. And verse 13 says that the leaders saw the boldness and they were just dumbfounded. They had no fear of who they were standing before. They spoke freely. Of course, we know that they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to speak this boldness. Have you ever been in a position in your life when you have had to take a stand regarding something really unpopular? Have you ever been in a place where you've had to defend Jesus in a hostile crowd? If you have, were were you afraid? I mean, recall that experience in your life if you've been through one. Were you afraid at that moment? Or were you empowered by the Holy Spirit to know exactly what to say during that moment? Here's what I will say. Maybe in your life so far, 
you have not experienced one of those moments yet. But in the world that we have today, as we look around, that time is coming. The time is coming where probably each one of us here this morning is going to have to take a stand. What and who do we believe in? By whose authority and by what name do you stand here? What will you say? Who do you fear? The Lord or the people? We must fear the Lord. The Sanhedrin, they were in a bad spot. They saw these men who had no formal education, these blue-collar workers, whose hands were calloused, whose skin was tanned by spending hours in the sun and the wind, who worked hard day and night, who were with Jesus for three years, who had really not caused anybody any trouble whatsoever. And now they're healing people. This man who was 40 years old, who had never walked, is now standing. They couldn't deny it. So they told him to leave. Again, in some ways, this is hilarious. And we think about these 71 men. But at the same time, it's also sad. It's sad. Because they're not rejoicing. They're in fear. But let us know this, that there is no stopping the message of hope going forth. There is no stopping the work of God. There wasn't then and there isn't now. As we said, even in America, there are times that are changing and, and we read about Christianity declining. The church attendance is dropping at the same time that the suicide rates are increasing. Hopelessness and despair at all-time highs. It is time for us to join the Lord and beg Him for revival. But it must begin with us. It must begin with us individually seeking the Lord and having Him revive us with His Spirit. We must know that God is still working. Even despite what the headlines might tell us. His kingdom is advancing and it will advance and He is victorious. Thus, so are we. And we must remember this. This must drive us to the Lord like it drove Peter and John. So listen to what happens next. They left and they were, and they were sent home. And here's what we see in verses 23 through 31. What was the church's response? Verse 23. And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now, weren't they just told not to speak about Jesus' name anymore? And the very first thing that they did they went to those 5,000 people and proclaimed what had happened in Jesus' name. Their fellow believers. And how did the people react? Did they recoil in fear? 
Did they decide that they would never speak of Jesus' name again? Or did did they decide to keep this message of hope to themselves? No. Let's read in verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and they're quoting now from Psalm 2, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, and along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. See, they did not want the Lord to protect them from their enemies even. They didn't say that. They said, let us speak with boldness. Bring it on! Let us speak with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The first thing that they did was they prayed together. They prayed together. And sometimes as a church, we like to plan together. We do a lot of that. And we forget the power that we have to pray together as a church. And not to just seek protection, but to seek boldness, to seek strength, to seek God to do mighty works through us, to see God save his people through our witness, to want to stand before people, even those who are against us, our enemies, and proclaim the name of Jesus with the power of Peter and John. This is what we are to do. Follow the example of this early church and the power of prayer. They knew that what happened to Jesus was God's plan. When Herod tried to kill him when he was a baby, when he stood before Pilate, and even when Pilate wanted to return him, and finally he gave in to the crowd and sent him away to be crucified. They were tools in God's tool chest to be used to carry out his plan for salvation through his son. It had to happen. This was God's holy will. But as we said earlier, Jesus is not dead. The grave could not hold him. He is alive. He is alive. And we need to tell everyone that because that is the good news. Jesus is alive. He's not a was. He's an is and always will be.
Let us remember that and never speak of him in the past tense. Never. Easy to do. Never do it. And then in verses 29 and 30, we see them say that to look upon the threats and grant your servants boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When was the last time you prayed that God would perform healings and signs and wonders through you? I mean, that, that brings up a whole bunch of things that we don't have time to get into this morning. But when was the last time you asked God to do something exceptional through you? And not only asked him, but believed that he would. You have the same Holy Spirit in you as a believer that Peter and John did. The power of God who raised his son from the dead lives in us. It is time for us as a church to stand up in the power of of the Spirit and the power and authority that God has given us and to take a stand for Him. This church would be a lot emptier if we didn't have friends and family from outside of our normal area. There was plenty of room in here to bring people from La Junta here to hear the good news. Let us continue to pray together and with boldness and beg God to start using us in the same way that he used Peter and John. This is what the book of Acts is for. This is why we read the book of Acts, why we study the book of Acts, why we're going through the books of Acts together as a church. Because we need to be reminded of the power of God and how He works and how He continues to work. He hasn't stopped working, He is working. And we have to remember that. Even when times are tough, even when we put together a big event like we did yesterday, and not very many people came, it's okay. We had a great time together. And at the end, there were two families that we met who just moved to La Junta. Neither one of them know Jesus at all. And we were able to share the gospel with them. All the time and energy that we put into that day yesterday was worth the half hour we spent with those people talking about the Lord to them. This is what God wants us to do. Take a stand for him. Stand for Him. Trust Him. Love Him. Go to Him and beg Him to use you. Not to cower in fear. I know that for some of us, it's difficult. We're shy. We're introverts. You might find it hard to believe, but I am a natural introvert. It is taking all of my being to stand here and speak to you because I don't do it in my own strength. I do it in his strength. I am much, probably when I get home, I'm going to take a nap because this is going to take all my energy 
and, and, you know, I love football, but I probably won't see a single game. But I tell you what, this is what God has called me to do. And I stand here in His power and not my own. Someday, one of you might also be standing here or somewhere else proclaiming the, the, the truth of God. And you might think, no way. And I said the same thing. And God said, oh yeah, you will, trust me. You have no choice. And here I am. Whether it's good or bad, here I am, okay? But I'm telling you, be ready. And be excited. Be excited to see what God will do for you. Are you excited to let God work in your life? Are you excited to see God do things that you never thought possible? To see things that you have never thought you would ever see? And to watch Him work and just be amazed? There is nothing like watching somebody's life go from death to life right before you when they change from a sinner to a saint. I pray that everyone in this room has the opportunity to share the gospel and be on the reaping side of it. A lot of times we sow the seeds and we never see the fruit of our labor. I pray that you will see the fruit because I'm telling you, someone could give me $10 million and there is no feeling getting $10 million that is greater than watching a sinner give their life to Christ. That is the greatest thing in the whole world. Now, I've never healed someone who couldn't walk. I don't know, maybe one day that will happen. But I have seen many people give their life to Jesus. And it was in his name, it had nothing to do with me. But it is a joy, and I pray that you get used in the same way. God loves you, and he is powerful. And this passage teaches us that we need to take a stand and to do it in boldness, just like Peter and John. And to think that we can't do it is to say that God is not powerful. And he is powerful. And he will work through you. I promise. In the name of God, I say he will. Strike me dead if I'm wrong, but I know he won't. Because he will. He will use you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, I come before you, Lord, and just in thanks, Lord, to the power of your word, the power of your message. I thank you for each person who is here this morning, Lord, that we would hear your voice speak to us and to teach us, Lord, that you want to use us in a mighty and powerful way for the glory of your kingdom, not for our own. That we are not to cower in fear, Lord, but we are to step out in boldness into that world. When we leave these doors this morning, wherever it is that we head to, that we go in the power and the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you resurrected. Father God, we need to be bold in taking this good news out to the people where we are at. And I pray, God, for each person here that you would use them in a mighty and powerful way beyond anything that their minds could imagine. And Lord, I pray the same for myself. I want you to do amazing things. 
in your name. Lord, I just pray for your power and your strength for this church. And I thank you for each person here, and I thank you so much for you, and I thank you for Jesus. If there's someone here this morning who has never given their life to Christ, they're not sure where they stand with you, Lord, but they want to now. They want to see you do great work through them, Lord. I pray that you would help them to see themselves as a sinner in need of a Savior. And they would give their lives to you, Lord. I thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen.